I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited that Jesus is risen. He is risen. That is our proclamation. It is our faith. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come today to celebrate the risen Lord, to celebrate the hope that we have in him that lives forever. And Father, we pray that today, if there are those who need to receive this gift of eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ, that on this most precious of days, that it might become the day that changed their lives. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are lots of days that uh, change our lives. And without becoming super spiritual, I'd, I'd really like to give you an opportunity to maybe share. And again, don't, remember, you don't have to be really spiritual about this. If there was a day that changed your life for any, for any reason, then uh, we'll, let me just get three or four of you to share. Someone who has a day that changed their life? No one. No one's life has ever changed here. Whoa, wait a second. I'll be right back. Whoa, 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 whoa. He's, well, here we Use this to fuss at him. Okay. The day I met my husband. We've been married for 14 years, and he's the best thing that, that's ever happened to me. So I pray God and thank God for him every day. But he's not even here, so he's here. <laughs> there he is back there. He comes in like the champion. Yeah, yeah. That, that was definitely a day that changed everything for you. Anybody else? Who was it over here that had, uh, hang on, got to go to the back. Can you reach that? No, you have to hold it. I can't reach back too far. The day I gave birth to my twins. That would definitely change your life. Change yours too, Joel, didn't it? Anyone else? Okay, hang on. I'm coming. Hi, good morning, everyone. Morning. Yes, the day that my life was changed is when I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Oh, right here. Okay. Good morning to everyone. The day that Jesus Christ came into my life, this was the best day of all, and I thank him. Anyone else? The day about 50 years ago when I went home from, been invited home from church uh, to meet, uh, have dinner with Carolyn's mother who cooked a great dinner and I met her wife. I met her and she's now my wife. Oh, thank you. Excellent. That'll change your life right there. You know, there are lots of days that change our lives. Significant days. It may have something to do with meeting the woman or man who would become your spouse having a child. For some people, uh, the day that changed their lives is a little bit different. I've had to, conversations with people behind the, the bars of the jail who said that the day that changed their lives was the day that they got arrested. You would think, yeah, that's a life-changing event. But for many of them, for any of you who work in jail ministry, sometimes it is that event that really begins the transition in their lives uh, to, to coming to know Christ and their lives changing forever. Lots of changes. When we read through the Gospels, we see changes. We see changes in the lives of those who followed Jesus as they came to know him in, in new and, and unfolding ways. And certainly, as the events leading up to his crucifixion, 
there were great changes in their lives. On this side of the resurrection, it is impossible for us to really understand the confusion, the grief, the sorrow, the despair that his first followers must have felt. These were men and women who had invested themselves fully in this man, Jesus. They had given him their loyalty. They had given him their lives. They placed their future on the line in order to follow him and to place their belief in him as the, the foretold Messiah, the one who would change everything. And yet, it didn't work out like they thought it would. And what they thought after the triumphal entry that we celebrated on Palm Sunday, after that triumphal entry, they expected great things. They expected the overthrow of the Roman government, the establishment of a new kingdom with Jesus sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. They expected that, but what instead they got was a cross. Jesus dying on it and being buried. The joy of that Palm Sunday becoming unbearable grief. They had to wonder, did we misplace our hope? Have we believed in the wrong person? Was, was this actually a, some kind of a false prophet? My dreams of a new kingdom. What will become of them? Were we deceived? Tricked in some way? Are we merely now refugees hiding out from the Jewish and Roman authorities so that we don't end up like he ended up? Could this just be a bad dream from which I will wake up tomorrow morning? You see, on that Friday, Jesus was nailed to a cross, and after he died, was hurriedly prepared and buried in a borrowed tomb. The disciples spent that Sabbath Saturday in confusion and grief. But early on that Sunday morning, before the sun began to peak over the horizon, a group of women came to the tomb. They came to finish what had been rushed on that Friday night before the Sabbath. They came to finish the preparations on Jesus' body. At, at least he deserved that. And when they arrived, they find, found that the stone which had covered the entrance to the tomb had been rolled away. And the guards that should have been there were nowhere to be found. And then, in the midst of their wonderment, came an astonishing thing. Luke tells us in uh, chapter 24, verse 5, An angel appeared to them, saying, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And they were instructed then to go and to tell the disciples, which they, which they did immediately. Peter and John lit out from the place. And they ran to the location. And when they got there, they didn't see an angel. They didn't see Jesus. They saw an empty tomb, grave clothes still in it, but no Jesus. John, 
he began to believe. Peter, not so much. And they left that place. They went back to where the other disciples were, and the, the women left that had come with Mary Magdalene, and she alone remained behind. Now, Mary's an interesting case study. She has been um, accused of being uh, the woman caught in adultery, being a prostitute. There really, there really isn't any evidence of that. But what we do know is that Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. She had been possessed and oppressed by seven demons. And Jesus had set her free. And from that moment on, she began to devote her life to him. For he had literally saved her life, saved her sanity, and given her salvation. Upon Jesus' death, she had grieved. She had this faint hope, this faint hope that what the angel said might possibly be true. But she had not seen Jesus. How could she know? That's where we want to pick up our story. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to John's Gospel, the 20th chapter. We'll look together at verses 11 through 20. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she replied. And I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, Tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that these things that he had said to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together and the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. This is the story of Easter. You'll notice there were no baskets, no bunnies, no eggs, no new dresses. Instead, what we see here is grief and sorrow that was dispelled by the appearance of Jesus. All he'd said was true. All he had promised had come to pass. He was restored to life, and they were restored to hope. This is Easter, and this is why we gather to rejoice. Apart from this event, there is no true joy to be had. This was a day 
that everything changed. Everything changed. Sorrow was swallowed up in hope. Death consumed by life. Satan's power crushed by the heel of Jesus. It would cause the Apostle Paul to later declare, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. This is how central the, that the resurrection is to the Christian faith. Without the resurrection, we have nothing in which we can believe. Jesus was a liar. Jesus was a deceiver. Jesus was a nutcase without the resurrection. But with the resurrection, we can believe everything he said was true. We can fully depend and rely on him, and we can count on him to give to us what we cannot gain for ourselves, salvation, eternal life. This day that we call Easter changed everything. How did it change everything? First of all, Jesus' resurrection proves that Jesus is who he said he was. It proves he's who he says he was. Matthew chapter 20. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and he said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, i got to tell you, it was probably not such a, 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 a big prediction that Jesus would be killed. After all, he had made enemies of the scribes and the Pharisees. He'd made enemies of the powerful. And he had already been threatened one time. People took up stones to kill him. It was no surprise then, I guess, that that Jesus might have predicted his own death. But what he says is, not only will I die, but I'll be crucified. And beyond that, folks, listen, on the third day, I'm going to rise. We might have said, okay, I can understand how he could predict his own death. But it's a pretty bold claim to predict that you're going to rise again. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus said, I have the authority to lay my life down and the authority to take it up again. I have the authority to defeat death. To lay down my life, not to have it taken from me, to lay it down and then to take it back up again. I got to tell you, that's a pretty bold claim and easily provable. Either it'll happen or it won't. And if it doesn't, then Jesus isn't who he said he was. But if it does, then he is who he claimed to be. The resurrection is the ultimate proof that Jesus is Messiah, Son of God, and Savior. It is the proof upon which we hang our hope. Secondly, the resurrection confirms the reason for his death. History is littered with the bones 
of dead martyrs, men and women who had a cause, noble, and who died for that cause, who were buried and remained dead. But this is what Jesus said of his, or what Paul said of Jesus' death. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That for us is big. It wasn't just that Jesus died for a good cause. It wasn't just a good man getting caught up in a bad situation. Jesus died for a reason. He died for us. While we were still in our sins, Christ died for us. He died to pay the price for our sin. He died in our place. He died as a ransom. He died taking up his his father's wrath on sin, taking it upon himself so that we might become the righteousness of God. The resurrection confirms what Jesus spoke to his disciples during the Last Supper. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus died for a purpose. And that purpose was to pay the price for our sin. The resurrection also guarantees the triumph of good over evil. The good guys do win. I guess you could say that the resurrection is a foretaste of things to come. A picture of what's going to happen for all of those who belong to Christ. It is an inevitable ending. This is what... uh, This is what we read in Acts 17. For God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Jesus won. Death and hell and the grave defeated. It is a promise, a guarantee that good does win, that God does win. And if if you don't believe me this morning, may I refer you to the final book in the Bible, the book called Revelation. And you can begin to read there some things that will confuse you, but one thing will be crystal clear. God wins. And you and I share in that victory. The resurrection also allows us to share in that victory. It's part of the Jewish tradition. When the harvest began to come in, that they would bring a portion of the first of their harvest to God. It was called the first fruits offering. And they would bring that and they would give it to God as an acknowledgement that everything they had came from God anyway. Well, The New Testament picks up on this. And they actually use this in reference to Jesus' resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. The resurrection is not simply something for Jesus. It is something that you and I share in. You and I can have 
confidence in our resurrection because Jesus was raised to life. This is the way the Bible puts it. If the spirit of him who was raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now look at that verse. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. If is a conditional. If he lives in you. What that means is very important. Even though Jesus died for the sins of the world, not everyone is going to share the benefit of his death and resurrection. There's an exclusive claim here. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and I've got to tell you, if when I read this, what I want to know is, how, how does that happen? Because I want to share in this. I don't want to be left out. How do I have the Spirit of God come to live in me? The Bible describes this in, in many ways. Being born again, being born of the Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, being in Christ, receiving eternal life, passing from death to life, being raised with Christ. It's very simply this. Jesus, who rose again, through him I receive forgiveness of my sins, not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it, but because I have received it as a free gift. It is given to me, and I accept it. I acknowledge I am unworthy, but I also acknowledge that Jesus has done everything necessary for my salvation. And when I do, the Bible says that God comes to live in me. The Holy Spirit is given to me, takes up residence in me, and literally I become a temple of the Holy Spirit, a place where God resides. I want that. As a matter of fact, I've found that, and I want you to have it. You know, I used to think the greatest tragedy in the world was the cross of Jesus Christ, that the Son of God, perfect in every way, would come to this earth and that human beings stained with sin would kill him. I used to think that was the greatest tragedy in human history. I've changed my mind. The greatest tragedy in human history is that the very God who sent his son to die on a cross extends his salvation to sinful man and people say, no, that's a tragedy. That's the greatest tragedy in humanity. That a God would love us so much that he would do everything necessary for our salvation. He would take it upon himself, place his son on a cross in your place and in my place. And that I could look at that cross and say, no, I'm going to do it my way. That's a tragedy. And I pray that it does not describe your life. 
But how can you receive this gift? I want to tell you, there is no formula. For everyone, it's a little bit different. For some, they have a bolt out of the blue experience. They have something dramatic that happens in their lives that God gets their attention. For others, it's quiet. It's serene. God kind of sneaks up on them. Everybody's experience is a little bit different. But there are some things that we share in that experience that I think it's important for us to know. First of all, there's a conviction of sin. There's a conviction that, you know what, I'm a sinner. I am not perfect. I've got, I've got issues. <laughs> I'm not okay and you're not okay. There's sin in my life. And I understand that God's perfect. God's holy. And if I have sin and God's perfect, how do those two things come together? It's not possible. God's not going to allow sin in his presence. It's repugnant to him. And so we're stuck. We have, to, we have to understand and be convicted that we are indeed sinners. And there, there has to be a heart of repentance. That is, when I look at my sin, I begin to see my sin as God sees it, and I don't want anything else to do with it. And I turn from my sin, and I turn to God because I'm helpless to remove it. I can't do a thing to fix these sins. I can't, I can't repair myself. I am Humpty Dumpty shattered on the ground. And no one can put me back together again. I'm a sinner. God can't stand sin and it's starting to turn my stomach too and I've got to turn. And when I do, I acknowledge and I accept that Jesus' death was for my sins. That not only did he die for the sins of the world, but he died for my sins. That he took my sins on himself. And that when he said, it is finished, that he had done everything that was necessary for my salvation, to save me from my sins, to purify me, to cleanse me, to bring me into the family of God. He has done it all, and I believe it's Jesus and Jesus alone. When Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, I believe it. I don't believe there's any other way. There's no other hope. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking it all on Jesus I'm putting all my chips on Jesus. I'm putting all my hope on Jesus. He and he alone. I will not stand before God one day, put my hands in my suspenders and say, Oh God, look how good I've been. Look how, how many good works I've done. No, I will stand before him one day and say, Listen, the only thing, the only thing that I have is the blood of Jesus. That's it. That is my only plea, my only cry. Accept me through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, who died on my behalf. And when we've done that, we need to profess it. We need to profess our belief that Jesus is God's son, that Jesus is Savior. Why is that so important? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now, does that mean if you can't speak that you can't do that? No, that's not what it means. It means that the outflow of our salvation experience creates in us a life and energy and enthusiasm. We cannot keep that quiet. We're not secret disciples. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men. Your life becomes a witness. And that's why, it's, that's why we call people on Sunday morning, not just to meet us in some side room and pray to receive Jesus as Savior and then kind of slink off hoping nobody finds out. That's why we ask people in a service like this on Sunday morning to step forward and say, I confess Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. He's my Savior. I've recognized that I'm a sinner. I'm in desperate need of a Savior. And I'm coming to Jesus now. Now. And I want everybody, I want the world to know that Jesus is Lord. Some of you have done that. Some of you have not. Is there a better day than today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? Is there a better day to take that step of faith than today?